Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. I just want to remind you of what was going on. Jesus fed the probably between 15 and 20,000 people because it said 5,000 men. And we know that that means that there were women and children. And then he went off to be with God by himself because he knew that the crowd was going to want to take him and be their king, you know, make that, make him ruler, make him be what he didn't want to be. If you'll open up to John six sixteen. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus is off by himself. The disciples don't know where he is. All, all they know is he's probably said, I've got to go be with God. And so it's getting dark, and the disciples go down to the sea because they've gone across the waters, and they need to return home. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the Sea of Capernaum, which is also the Sea of Galilee. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So I'm I'm sure they're a little bit worried, thinking, you know, where in the world is Jesus, and why is he not here, and, you know, all of that stuff. But also, I'm sure that they're thinking, um, should we be leaving without him? Should we wait for him? Has he gone somewhere else? You know, there was a lot of things that would be going through your mind at that time. But I, I wanted to look to just a little bit. I'm not like a real big history buff. Like, this didn't come off the top of my head or anything like that. But I looked at the Sea of Galilee, and I just was interested in seeing it's the lowest freshwater lake on Earth at approximately 700 feet below sea level. And as far as how big it is, sometimes we kind of think, oh, well, they were... We have, like, little demonstrations in Sunday school or whatever. And we think that that there's just this little boat and there's just this little water to cross from land to land. And we don't realize that this is a sea. This is a huge amount. It's a capacity. It could approximately hold 100 billion cubic feet of water. That's how we know that being in a storm of 100 billion cubic feet (laughs) of whatever can be pretty intimidating. And I just thought about that this morning. I thought about just what do you do when you're in that situation? And I was thanking God for this one scripture in Romans 8, 38 and 39 that says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know what's interesting is they were really separated from their Lord. He had not died on a cross and been resurrected and the Holy Spirit had not yet come and so they were separated from the love of God. They were separated from their Lord and I'm so thankful today that no matter what happens in our lives, we don't have to be. That that list includes everything. Life, death, angels, principalities. I mean, saying even those that are high ruling demonic forces. Nothing can separate us 
you know, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And, and that just makes me feel so much more secure kind of with my children because I realize, wow, you know, nothing can separate them. No, no, no matter how many walls they put up or not, don't want any of our kids to get into um, things that we know are bad for them, but it still won't separate them from the love of Jesus. And John six eighteen. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they'd rowed three or four and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. Now look at this. Three or four miles. A mile is 1,760 yards long. I never learned cubic meters or any of that, or centimeters or any millimeters. It's terrible. But, but if you look at this, they're freaking out because they've rode out three or four miles. If you find end-to-end, a football field's 100 yards long, and if you fit them end-to-end, you can fit 17.6 football fields inside one mile. So they've rode past the length of between 54 to 72 football fields and all this water going everywhere, and it's pitch black, and nobody has you know, a flashlight back then and you know you don't even want you you can't you can imagine you can't hold up a lantern or anything very well the water is swooshing over and so they're probably thinking Jesus deserted us and we've gone this far and how can he ever get back with us and where are we supposed to go and what is happening and so they're really probably freaking out and I don't know I I stopped right here and and God just kind of asked me you know, what's been your Sea of Galilee? Because there are times where it looks like, wow, Jesus ain't in the boat, you know? And even though he is with us, I mean, it feels like he is not. And that we're out in this sea just being tossed and turned and, you know, on our heads and there's no way we can make the right decision or there's no, there's nowhere to go except for down. And, and I know we've all felt that way at one time or another. And we really do need to ask for Jesus to come into our boat, which he's already there. That's what's so interesting is whenever I've said, come here, you know, he said, I mean, I'm right here. You know, it's different than when I was with the disciples. I can't, I couldn't be in all places at one time, but now I can. I'm right here with you. And then lots of times, and this has helped me a lot, but I know I've told y'all before how how many problems God has of mine (laughs) personally. And I'm so glad because then I can be very lighthearted and and free, and I I can just give them into the best of hands, no matter what it is. And The Bible says so clearly several times that all things are possible with God. And so it's not like, well, you know, God can do everything, but, you know, there isn't anything that God can't do. And if he loves us so much to send his own son to die for us, the Bible says, well, then how much more will he not freely give us all things? And so if we cry out to him and we're honest with him, Really, all he wants is honesty. Remember when we said that's what God really needs to, to be able to work with is honesty? 
I mean, it's just like, because, I mean, I can, I can, you know, circumvent what the Holy Spirit's really trying to tell me or make excuses up for God and, and, or whatever. But he really works with honesty, and it's like the second you start being honest with God, it's like things start happening to your favor, to your blessing, to your complete um, good. And so they're really freeing out. And right in John 6.20, he says to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And so they heard that, they saw him, and they heard that. They saw him walking on water, and he says, It is I, do not be afraid. And they're willing to receive him into the boat. Now, we look at that, and we're thinking that there's just this clean little motion, like to receive him into the boat. But I, I wanted to look at this receive, that word receive, for a certain reason, because it has a deeper meaning in the Greek language, and, it, and it's going to take us deeper into what they did to trust him in all of this craziness and in all the darkness and in all of the things that looked like they weren't going to be true and maybe he's a ghost and you know you can just imagine all the things going through their heads they received him they recognized their lord receive in the greek is the word lambano but it means to take to take by the hand isn't that interesting lay hold of any person or thing have ownership claim procure for oneself seize apprehend do you understand this because people talk about receiving salvation, and it sounds like this real passive thing. Like you just go, oh, no. I mean, it really means lay hold of, take, seize for yourself, and say, this is mine. You know, this is, this is my God. This is, I'm his child. And they seized Jesus probably out of wanting him in the boat, but they pulled him in. I mean, some somebody stood up and pulled him in. And... Um, it just and they said that they received him, but they were using this word that comes from the Greek that means to gain, to get, to obtain, to seize, apprehend, procure for oneself. And I think that's so important. You know, it's like some people think, well, I was, um, my grandmother was a Baptist, and my great grandmother was a Baptist, and my great great grandmother was a Baptist, and I'm a Baptist, and. Um, how are you a Baptist? Oh, well, I grew up a Baptist. We're all Baptists. We are Irish Baptists. It's like, no, well, no. You have to receive Christ for yourself. But I almost think that we should say, you have to procure, claim, grab, you know, just get a hold of and pull him in with you. I mean, get that more of that um, picture in our minds. So it's this messy, dangerous, drenching experience to stand up in a boat with a strong wind and to put your hand out and try to help Jesus in. And as soon as Jesus was back in the boat, okay, I never noticed this before, ever. Read the Bible, never noticed this verse 21. You can tell me if you did. Immediately the boat was on the land in which they were going. I never saw that before. As soon as they pulled Jesus in with them in their storm, you know, like, 
when we pull Jesus, even though he's with us all the time, but he's a gentleman and he waits for us to say, ah, this is the honest truth. This is the biggest mess. This is the big storm. This is the impossible situation. As soon as we pull him with us, then things start to go in the right direction. But look at what happens. Immediately the boat was at that land to which they were going. So they went from the middle of the sea in a storm to the land in which they were going. Okay, I've never seen that before. And I get kind of excited about stuff like that because I think, did God sneak that in, you know, just for today? Because seriously, I feel like I've read this and read this a story. And, you know, you have all the little hand puppets you had to watch and Sunday school and all the little pasty boards. And you're like, yeah, and then there was a storm and then the disciples were afraid and then they weren't. No one ever told me once Jesus got in the boat, it got where it was supposed to go. ASAP, like not just ASAP, but like right then, pronto, there, then, yeah. So, look on at John six I'm going to find it in your Bible. Okay, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized they only had one boat there, realized that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, because they all, the whole crowd, you know, wanted to be where Jesus was, and so they, of course, had the disciples, they were checking it out, making sure he didn't leave. Um... But they had gone away alone. And then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And, of course, that is where he is. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he said, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and fishes. In other words, he's saying, you're looking for me, really, to feed your flesh and make me your fleshly king, not because you saw me do miraculous signs and I could possibly be the Messiah that you're supposed to be watching and waiting for, but you're searching after me for what kind of fleshly stuff it can do for you. And that's not why I want you following me. That's not at all. It's not about the flesh. It's about the spirit. And then he goes on to say, don't work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And Jesus answered, because they asked him, so what must we do to work the works of God? And this version that Katie has says, and they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Haven't you always felt that way? Like, okay, God, you know, so what do you want me to do? You know? And, and so here we have the privilege of listening to these people ask it, and then Jesus has a very specific answer. A very specific answer. In verse 29, Jesus says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work he wants from us. We were talking this weekend. Um, I was talking with my brother and sister-in-law, my other brother and sister-in-law, and we are talking about all the different um, 
religions and how most all of them, really all of them that I can think of except for Christianity, are based on works, based on you do this, you do that, you do this, you, you might get into heaven, you might not, but you still need to do this or empty yourself of this or become part of nature or not feel anything or I mean I'm trying to go from Zen Buddhism to Muslim stuff without getting in trouble with my mother so what they're all based on though is work and the Christian religion or the Christian the whole idea of being a Christian is that Jesus did the work what's my work to believe and the whole basis of being a Christian is God works in my life. What's my job to believe? And, you know, if I've got a situation that is way more than I can handle, God's going to handle that in my life. What, what's my responsibility to believe? And so we know that believing comes from hearing the word and being in groups and speaking about how good Jesus is and sharing things that happen with one another so that we can have our faith built because we have to have faith to believe. It's hard to just decide to believe someone that you've never heard of or that you've heard of you know, once or twice a year when the entire parking lot is crammed and everyone is bringing flowers and it's Easter. And, oh, I just, I'm going to you know, get my faith bolstered. I don't think so. You may not even get a pew. So John 6:29 Jesus said, "This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent." So he's saying the work of God is really to believe in Jesus. And we know that Jesus is a picture of God that we're believing in really who God's true character is. It's almost like it's almost like Jesus saying, "Know that I'm the true character of God, that God is love and I'm just revealing to you who this, what the Father heart is and believe in me. Believe in a God who wants the best for you, a God who loves you, a God who's not mm-hmm. mad at you, a God who wants to help you, a God who is so merciful and so full of grace that his mercies are new every morning. I love that, Lamentations 3.21. I had to use that. I was down at the coast and... Lacey woke up and he was just grumpy. And I really have an aversion to grumpiness because I feel like there's no excuse for it. I don't, I, I don't know. And that's really being, like, narrow-minded or whatever. And, um, but anyway, he, um, he has taken on this habit all of a sudden in the last couple of years of talking under his breath, like grumbling. And someone else in his family used to do that, and now it's... He's repeating what that parent did, and I'm like, you know, we don't need to repeat all, everything our parents did. <laughs> and so he started kind of gr- So I had been in the restroom. It was early in the morning. We needed to leave, and I had left my blow dryer plugged in, and all I heard was, oh. first, you know, passed me in the hall. He didn't say anything. And then, you know, I he didn't, like, touch me or pat me or anything and I was like this against the wall because he was walking I mean I was trying to not get in the man's face and so anyway he said and I thought you know I always let him just say whatever under his breath 
want to find out what he's saying. And I opened the door. And, of course, this is at a coast house where, you know, sister-in-law, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, brother-in-law are asleep, you know, 6 in the morning. And I'm, Tracy, what did you just say? I said, why do you always have to have your blow dryer plugged in? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know, Mr. Meany. And then, oh, he was mad because I called him Mr. Me. No one heard it but Yogi, but it didn't matter. We went downstairs and everything was just, I mean, he started referring himself to Mr. Me, not in front of anybody else, but, you know, I mean, just like, you know, uh, let's see, do you, have you packed the suitcase or do you need Mr. Mead to pack it for you? You know, I mean, just any and everything. And I just realized I was talking to them about forgiveness and all of this stuff. And he and I had what is, you know, we meant it as silly and it was just something silly. But it's something that also kind of goes on and on. And... Um, it was just so great for me to be able to, in front of everyone, go, Lacey, you know what? And I didn't go, will you first repent for, you know, slapping me around about having my blow dryer plugged in? Because everyone knows that doesn't matter. First, say you're sorry to me and bow to me. I didn't need to do that. I just said, will you accept my forgiveness for calling you Mr. Mean? <laughs> so... My apology, my apology. We accept my apology for God. I probably did say forgiveness. We accept, <laughs> we accept my apology in front of everybody for calling you Mr. Mean. And he was like, yes, I will. And true to character, he never said anything back, you know. That's fine. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't go, oh, love you, Mr. Unforgiving. But I just kind of just, it was clear. It was fine. It was easy. And that's really, God wants us to come to him and just say, I ask your forgiveness. And to also be excited to be the first one to say, I'm sorry. You know, I could just feel this little bit of static between Lacey and myself. And here we were trying to share with another couple. I have to try to get vague now. About the gospel that morning as they were there and... You know, I'm sharing about the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and all these scriptures and all this stuff. And the Holy Spirit brings up, and he calls your husband Mr. Mean. I'm like, oh, Lord. So I have the privilege, though, of, of, of saying I'm sorry first. And then I finally, 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 God help me if I'm wrong, have the maturity to not need him to clean it all up, up his deal. It's kind of like when you take a shower and you feel so good and you get out and you're all clean and you just, you know, you don't need the other person to. You're like, that's between you and God and everything's clear. And so God is such a loving, forgiving God. This is the work we do to believe in him. In John 6.30, they said to him, and, and I, I love it the way they don't even skip a beat. Um, I mean, it doesn't say that they went into small groups and said, let's think about what God just said, because this is a really big deal. I mean, we just had a huge question answered. 
We've always had, all through Moses' laws and the Ten Commandments and everything all the way down, we've had works. And now he's saying the work to please God is to believe. This is contrary to what we've ever known. Instead, they go on. They're like us. They just go on to the next thing. Like, okay, mm -hmm. we're just going to make sure we read this chapter. And that's the only thing that really matters because I'm going to read this Bible in a year, come hell or high water. And I'm going to check it off. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to really, really hear him and, and have him be able to come alive through it. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? Okay, what did, what had just happened the day before? <laughs> but is that not like us? I remember after Maddie Witten was born, and yes, she was eight pounds, and yes, I had the full metal rod, and no, the epidurals didn't take, and yes, I wasn't into giving a baby little house on the prairie style, and no, I didn't scream, but that yes, the seventh epidural covered some of it, but not all of it. But I remember just saying, you know, Lord, you've got me through that. I have a baby. I, I will never need anything from you again, you know. And I mean, it wasn't the next day that I wasn't going, oh, you know, I need something. I need, you know, I need to just, <laughs> I need, I need. And so he had just fed the, 15 to 20,000 people. These are much of the same, if not the same, people. And he says, all God wants from you is to believe in the one he has sent, the Messiah that you've been waiting for all this time. And instead of them going, oh my gosh, that means that we're like, we don't have to worry about, like in case our donkey falls in a ditch during, you know, the... the um, yeah, Sabbath. You know, we don't have to worry about the fact, do, do we move them, do we not move them? Just all these rules and regulations. Instead, they shoot a question right back at him. So they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give us so that we may believe? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, and it was written, he gave them manna from desert to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. Now look at the picture that the manna was that I'd never really realized. You know, why did God send manna? Oh, just to feed the people. No, it was to show them a glimpse of their Lord. Always in the Old Testament, things that happen in the physical realm show us. In the spiritual realm, what was really happening in and, and, and God fed and kept his people alive and sustained them with manna, bread, coming, falling from heaven to them. And then look at what Jesus is saying. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he's talking about himself. That he is the bread of heaven. That he is our daily manna. That's why we have so much trouble, you know, gathering it up, just like the Israelites at the time. You know, they wanted to have baskets and baskets and baskets just so, like, maybe they could trust one day or maybe they could go a couple of weeks without trusting, you know, because I got a whole vault of manna. Nobody can get into it. It's refrigerated. It's a new kind. I'm not going to tell you where it is. You know, I mean, just people get silly with, what they put their trust in, and God says, believe in me. 
Believe in me. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They're still not getting that he's the bread. So he's going to get really specific with them. So Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. As I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Okay, that is a huge promise right there. Because can Satan convince us sometimes that, well, you came to God at one time, but you're not in the fold. You're out. You know, three strikes. Well, here's a scripture that says, Whoever comes to me will never be driven away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who believes in him would have eternal life, and I would raise him up on the last day. I mean, is that, that's what we mean by good news. That's what we mean by good news. And that God, sometimes we want to say, well, what's God's will? You know, we can know what God's will is, that none would be lost, that none would be lost. And that he is a God that loves us all and wants us all to be with him. And this eternal life that he offers us, is because of his son, Jesus Christ. But through Jesus and coming to Jesus, we can never be then kind of kicked out. Like, okay, now you're not, you know, performing well enough, you know. So anyway, um, it's interesting that at this time, this is the people that he's talking to. And so it says, verse 41 at this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Okay, so they're noting he couldn't have been the bread that came down from heaven because that was, I mean, he wasn't even born yet. They're still seeing everything in the physical. And we can't make too much fun of them at all because there are times when I know that that's been me just going, no, wait a minute, this can't be right. And so they say, this isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? They're like, how can this be? How can nobody's checking the prophetic scriptures about, you know, born in a manger, Bethlehem, um, by a virgin? You know, no, nobody's checking that about 200 of those are fulfilled. And, I mean, it's just incredible it's more just what is in front of our face and that's the way we are as humans is what is in front of my face right now is what i think is possible and it's usually what i'm capable of well what's possible in your life is not what you're capable of but what god is capable of And it's nice to stop and know, you know, I'd really rather have God's unlimited um, plan 
than to have my very limited plan of what I think I'm capable of. Because if, if it's all up to me, yeah, I'm going to fail. So God, I even need you to help me not fail. You know, we saw the little clip of the movie about high school students in this generation called, what was it, Running to Nowhere? Anyway, yeah. It was like one quote that really hit me strong was um, one guy said, well, if I don't try, then I can't fail. And I thought, wow, you know, that hit me really strong because you wouldn't think that, but I remember taking classes at Baylor that I wasn't maybe interested in, but I knew I could do well in because I wanted to make all A's. I, I, I just... I had that perfection personality of like, I've got to make all A's and I've got to graduate with a 4.0 and I've got to do everything I'm supposed to do and look the way I'm supposed to look and say the right things. And if I don't, then, I'm, uh, you know, so I would be sort of amazed when people would be like, oh, I'm failing this class. I love it, though. And, um, and I would just be like aghast, like, how can you love failing anything? But I notice even today, God challenges me. He challenges me this morning to change a behavior that's going to take a while because a habit takes a while to change, to change a behavior in myself that I it's not affecting anyone else, so why should I change it? But God's challenged me to change it. And I already have that kind of perfectionism of, but if I don't try, I won't fail. Well, you know what? God is so good. He's like, fail and I'll carry you. Fall, and I'll lift you up. Fail, and I'll make the failure better than what it would have been had you never tried. I mean, he's, he just wants us to try, you know? He just wants us to try. And I don't, we didn't have to do this with Maddie, but with Storm, Storm is a very timid, little, really careful baby. And um, he would rather sit in my lap than get on the floor. But when we started you know, teaching him to walk on his own, it was like the stiffest little legs. Like, I mean, you wouldn't believe it now because he's such a, he's just kind of schwined into the realm and he just has this kind of whole, you know, demeanor about him that you, he has some kind of mojo going on. I don't know what it is, but we're praying for it and against it. We, didn't, we don't know what to do. But he wouldn't even take a step. It was, like a, it was like a little stick soldier man, and we were like, come on, walk, walk. And that's like God with us. He's like, try. I'm not asking you to try on your own, and I'm not testing you because I want you to fail. I'm, I'm testing you because it's better for you, or I'm testing you because I want you to know that you can fail, or I'm testing you because we're coming up higher in, in our faith here. We're coming to a better place. We're supposed to be changing from glory to glory and not stop somewhere and go, okay, that's enough glory for me, you know? But sometimes we do when we refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit and refuse to fail, refuse to let it be okay for us to fail, so they begin to grumble, and they said, you know, how can he come down from heaven? He's son of Joseph, and we know his mother. And Jesus, in verse 43, says, stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered, 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except for the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. This is me, Jesus, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread. I've come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And, of course, they don't understand that. And I want to stop there, not because I want to stop there, but because I want us to think about Jesus said a lot of things that we understand because we're on the other side of the cross. His disciples are having to take him at his word without it making any sense to them whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading, it says that the Jewish people have sharp arguments with themselves, but also when he starts teaching about communion, we have this God of the past, the present, and the future that might tell you something that if you don't understand it, I wouldn't argue with him. I think I would just say, I don't really understand that. But I'm going with you, God, because you're the winning team. But think about this that John recorded later, all these things that Jesus just said and said for their good. And yet, John didn't understand all this. And it said then the disciples of Jesus, not, not adversarial people, but disciples of Jesus at that time said, this is too much. This teaching about the, the body and the blood, and which was going to be the covenant of communion it's too much for us because they had no vision of the cross we we have no vision of the future we really are like little lambs we are pretty defenseless you know some of us think that we're mean but it's not really i mean i don't know i just think of a little lamb and like have you ever seen a lamb like fight a bear or fight anything and jesus says he's our shepherd and we're to follow behind him and lambs don't need to understand what they're following and so when we get into the word of god and get into um, especially the epistles and and looking at all the different things that it says in the first corinthians and second corinthians and, and the ways that we're to live our life if we don't understand, it's just okay for us to say, but I'll follow you anyway. You know? Like, I don't understand in the heavenlies at all what it does when I ask Lacey's forgiveness and don't need him to say, oh, but I was also wrong. I don't understand what goes on in the heavenlies. I just know that that was my part, and so I'm free and happy and blessed, and I go on from there, you know? So often we just need to trust, trust him completely with everything. And a lot of it has to do with what he says, who he says he is, and who he says he will be. And eternal life is given for us in him. In him. We were born 
in this little body, but we always had a soul. Always. And within that soul, you know, we were going to be given the decision of, do you want to live with God and for God or against God, without God? And we know God, as Christians, God is love. So if someone lives their whole life saying, no, I want to live without God, without God, no. And they make that choice, he'll honor their choice. And that would be hell, is to be apart from everything that's love. That would truly be hell. We also have to develop our spirit through reading the Word and learning more of the Word and learning to just call out to God with our needs and also just being honest. This may not go for everybody in this room, but being okay to fail. If God tells you to do something, just try it. And if, even though, you know, maybe your own mind goes, well, I've tried that before. It doesn't work. Well, do it again. Maybe you didn't try it with him. <laughs> maybe you tried it by yourself. Or if you're, or if even Satan will say, that's not going to work. And, and you can say, yeah, you're right. It wouldn't, but I've got the holiest guy in the universe, the creation of the universe behind me. And you can go ahead and get out of here in Jesus' name. I mean, we need to be willing to fail for Jesus. And sometimes that means we step out. (coughs) We step out and we do those things that God's asking us to do. We change those behaviors. We change those habits. We change those mindsets. We go ahead and don't have to be always right or whatever it is. And then God... God does the changes in us that are necessary. It's amazing. Go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If you are able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive.